Hey everyone, welcome to the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is Deep Deep Bettina, the CEO at RhythmX AI. How are you today? Doing great, Jared. Thanks for having me here. Excited to have you here. Let's dive right in. Tell the audience a little bit about you. Sure. Um, I always start with my own personal story and then get into the professional aspects, Jared. And I grew up in a very small town in southern India. And I have to say, growing up, I watched my own grandparents and also the community struggle with a lot of uh, access, lack of access to healthcare. For example, my own grandmother, mother's mother, she suffered from like chronic condition like diabetes and lost her foot at age 67 and then passed away a couple of years after that. And all that could have easily prevented if only people were aware of what is this really about? How can I actually make some lifestyle changes? It could have been like much simpler fixes that could have actually helped her live longer, happier, healthier. And that is just one case, right? Not only I saw that uh, growing up, even now, if you look three out of four people, 65 and older, even in the US live with one or more chronic conditions, more than 75 to 80% of the costs going to chronic conditions. It's a huge problem. And then the other big shaping force of my childhood, which will all culminate in the professional space is when I coded for the first time when I was a teenager, I actually thought it was magic. Literally, I thought, oh my God, this is magic, right? So I still feel like that about technology sometimes. And I personally, I've dedicated my life to the combination of technology and healthcare. And I sincerely believe there is a lot to be done leveraging technology to change the trajectory uh, in healthcare. So professionally, I've held uh, last uh, couple of decades key roles, like was able to make a lot of difference in healthcare as chief product officer of Humana, GM of operations at Nuance, CEO at Walter's Floor, Health Up to Date, like various uh, uh, healthcare companies. But the big part for me, I have to say is, I've traveled all around the world to so many countries. I lost count, both public-private hospitals. And when people actually told me how our, our products and platforms changed their lives, I had tears in my eyes. And I can't even explain the feeling to you, but sufficient to say, I'll ne never let go of the mission to change healthcare, leveraging technology. That's my, that's my life's mission. I love your background. I love your outlook. The story about your your grandmother is uh, it seems like everyone in healthcare has or or the most like the, the the people that are creating the most impact have had those types of stories right where they they saw maybe not necessarily them right but a family member go through you know maybe not the best type of healthcare experience and uh it's it's nice to know that's one of the drivers for you that got you to want to be in this space um one of the things I wanted to ask you too, while we're still kind of on your background, is you're a very busy person. Uh, you're you're involved in a lot. Um, you're you're involved with with Babson, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, how how are you juggling all of this? Like let's talk time management. This is something we don't often talk about, but I'm going to bring it up with you because you're doing a lot. So let let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, and don't forget, in addition to all things professional, I actually have two daughters, 17 and 13, uh, who also keep me very busy. And uh, I would, you know, I always say professionally, like everybody should act, be doing the top of the license activities and stop doing stuff they enjoy. Same thing applies personally as well, right? Long time ago, I choose to punt every single activity in my life that I don't enjoy 
and I either outsource it, punt it. it it's all a matter of um, prioritization. And and why do you think that can be a tra- like people? Some people fall into that trap of like you can see the the most successful people, yeah. right? do exactly what you're saying. They punt the things that they don't like so they can focus on, you know, those really uh, deep tasks that they do enjoy that they can really sink their teeth into. Um, What advice do you have for people that maybe struggle with that piece of it where they they don't punt those tasks? In my personal experience, Jared, honestly, a lot of people let, what do you say, the societal norms or let somebody else define what the priorities are for them, right? The sentence start with, well, my husband expects me to do this or my colleague wants me to do it. Like, and I'm like, no, what do you want to do, right? What are your priorities? And uh, do choose what's important to you. And it's easier said than done. And a lot of people stick with the inertia of, I've been doing it for 10 years and so-and-so expects me to do it. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm like, time out. It's not important to you, you as a human being. Stop it. Cut it out. Punt it. I love it. That's great advice. And and I, I have to ask too, by the way, out of curiosity, when you were at because because you're you're in the Boston area, right? Yeah. When you were at Humana, did you ever work out of the Boston like downtown yes. location? So um, right right in Seaport, right? Isn't that where the location yeah. is? So yeah. we were probably in the same building at one point. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I used to, uh, I, I rented space in that building uh, as well, probably around the time, because you were at Humana a few years back, right? Like maybe three, four years? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's hilarious. Um, small world. Yeah, we had, a very fancy, we had a very fancy Google-like building and office space there. So. Oh, Seaport's beautiful. It's always great to get out there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get back. I'm glad I was able to, to kind of, get your, your thoughts on, uh, on some personal and, and career growth uh, questions. I know our audience will enjoy that as well. Going back to uh, the company. So you're the CEO of Rhythm XAI, which is part of SAI Group. Can you talk about that? Uh, like how, how the two are related? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so the reason I even joined SAI Group last year is because, first of all, um, the alignment of core values of SAI groups align very well with my life's mission. Uh, first of all, our chairman, who's a serial entrepreneur, brilliant, brilliant, um, uh, not only an entrepreneur, philanthropist, has been making huge difference in AI for decades, long before AI was cool, right? And he established SAI group, Dr. Ramesh Wadwani is his name, um, about six-ish years ago. And SAI Group is already the largest, fastest growing players in the enterprise AI uh, space. And for comparison's sake, it has two pillars so far. And I'll talk about the third in a minute, Symphony AI and Concert AI, both founded in 2017, currently 4,000 employees. Just Symphony AI alone is bigger than some of the big enterprise AI companies you may know like C3 or DataRobo in terms of revenue. And it's just brilliant to see how quickly uh, SAI Group is able to get to the phase of being like one of the fastest, largest growing enterprise uh, AI player. Concert AI is a leader in the real world data, enterprise AI. And I've noticed, Jared, you already interviewed uh, Jeff, so you are obviously familiar. Symphony AI is a huge enterprise uh, AI leader in other verticals like retail, financial services, manufacturing, so on. 
And uh, what we have is a combination of what's done so far. We have huge assets, SA group, right? One is out of these 4,000 global employees, 1,000 are actually healthcare. And 1,100 of them are actually working on our Eureka AI platform, extremely sophisticated enterprise AI platform with 250 plus data scientists. And that platform, the global talent base we can tap into, and the billion dollars that are personally committed by our chairman, they're all accessible to not only the two current companies, but also the third new company, which I would love to announce today uh, that we are booting up called Rhythmx AI. Uh, our chairman is a huge fan of music, as you can tell by the names of Symphony Concert Rhythm. Um, and it is truly my honor to be the CEO of this third pillar of SAI group, Rhythmx AI. And the beauty of this is it's not like any typical startup guy in the garage type. I come here with a lot of assets as my starting point, right? Ranging from capital to AI to data, you name it. Um, my starting point is very different and very excited to be here. And at the highest level, Rhythmx AI is a new health AI company, and we are driving a paradigm shift in the whole person care with initial focus on primary care and happy to get into deeper detail. Yeah, thank you for that, by the way. Uh, and also, I have to give a shout out to the design team because I absolutely love your logo. It is very eye-catching. Oh. The colors are awesome. Uh, we'll give them a shout out. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, I want to I want to dive into some more of these problems that you're solving. I, I think they're super important, and and one in particular I wanted to ask you about today was really what's needed in today's world in terms of one clinical workflow. So um, I always like to use analogy. So I'll use an analogy and then get into what's needed into the one clinical workflow. Is uh, Think of a typical pilot flying their plane, right? Uh, they have one cockpit, which has all the things that are needed to be able to actually safely land the plane. They don't have a different cockpit for landing the plane on time. And then yet another different cockpit for making sure the passengers are safe. And another cockpit for making sure FAA regulations are being taken care of. And another for making sure is this actually going to the right destination but that's what we do in healthcare today. There's too many siloed, too much of fragmentation going on. There is no one uh, co-pilot uh, for our clinicians to be able to truly think about so many different aspects about health and patients to be able to truly deliver that integrated, integrated care. And I think there is a big uh, need there, Jared. And um, if you're interested, happy to get into what do I even mean by integrated care? Because it's a, it's a, it's a very important topic for people to understand. Yeah, I, I would love to hear more. So uh, if you look at the evolution of healthcare in the last few years, right? Uh, people are realizing, and even in my past companies, we must have spent like hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars in what I'm about to say right, in market research, uh, work with many different health systems, is back in the day, if you had, say, diabetes or chronic kidney condition or whatever it is, people treated you for clinically, right? Now, uh, fast forward, especially in the last decade, the research has shown there are actually three different categories of accelerators. Doesn't matter what clinical conditions you have, 
you have one of these three other, uh, one of these three, you're going to get sicker faster, right? One area is social determinants of health. You having diabetes is one thing, you having diabetes plus uh, lack of transportation, you can't afford food, all these things are going to accelerate you faster. And then the second big bucket is mental health. You having uh, cancer is one thing, but you have cancer and you have depression and you're going to get sicker faster. The whole mental health bucket, which still has a lot of social stigma is a huge accelerator. And then you have the third big thing is also about lifestyle. Like you have one of these conditions and you have sedentary lifestyle, obesity, you're not eating uh, healthy and you're a smoker, you're going to get sicker faster. And the true uh, clinical care is now multiplied by people even call it social system of care. Like, because if you treat any patient just by any one of these angles, it's not a truly integrated care and you're not taking all the relevant pieces of the puzzle into the mix. And now all the onus is on primary care physicians about hundreds and thousands of attributes coming together to decide what care does Jared really need and what is what should be done for him. Super interesting. Huh. I, and when when we when we look at another so we're we're, talk, we're still talking problems, right? When we talk of other big problems in the space, one that everyone keeps harping on, we keep hearing about it on and on, is uh, burnout, uh, burnout and shortage uh, of, mm-hmm. of clinicians in the workforce. Yeah. Can you, this was something I wanted to make sure I also asked you today. Why, why is this burnout real? And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you hear a variety of ways to also solve this shortage. Um, would be curious to yeah. hear your thoughts on the problem and maybe, you know, ways that we can look to address it? Sure. It's actually directly relevant to what I just explained, right? Um, there are three types of physician burnout, Jared. The first type is something everybody is already talking about it. You must have heard a thousand times in a thousand articles by now, and I'll get to it in a minute. And the second type is like, we just started talking about it, but not enough. And then there is a third type of burnout uh, that I don't think anybody's really talking about or addressing enough. So I'll I'll speak about those three because the answer um, may be different to each one. The first one is the physician burnout due to administrative burden, right? For every hour they see patient, they spend two hours on EHR and clicking things away to glory, and they spend their pajamas time with their family on completing documentation. It's just the administrative burden is huge. And I'm sure you read like a thousand articles about it, about how do you make it uh, easier on the physicians. The second type of the burnout is that uh, the moral burnout. I'll come back to it. New York Times recently recently wrote wrote an article about how actually suicide rates uh, within physicians are higher than in any other profession. And just the moral stress they're going through um, is just just, uh, devastating. And the third one, which we don't talk about much about is the humanly impossible stuff we even expect from the physicians at this point, even if they had all the time in the world, stuff they can't do, right? And this goes back to what I said earlier, most doctors typically may have 18 to 20 minutes with their patient when they see me deeply. And there are thousands of diseases out there. How do they know? And especially if we stay focused on primary care physician for a minute, 
to truly know, are there some conditions maybe I already have, but the symptoms are not showing up yet? Maybe there are symptoms and maybe I'm going to accelerate uh, into sicker phase faster than Jared. Like, how can you help me? And for thousands of conditions, what they need to do is two things, right? One is what is Zipti's family history? Her clinical labs were going back by so many years. How are they changing? And what is her social determinants? What about does she have depression? Like hundreds and thousands of variables about me need to be uh, converge from so many sources for them to decide, aha, I think Deepthi is really at risk for these three conditions. She's upstream. She's in stage one. I got to stop it. And the second big thing is the clinical guidelines or medical guidelines for research are changing every day, the best practices, right? You're supposed to do this now. No, that medication is outdated. You're supposed to do X, Y, Z. Those things are changing so much and so fast. It's not possible for physicians to keep up with that. And now you are supposed to take these thousands of data variables and now keep up with all these changing guidelines, combine all of it, and within minutes, tell Jared, who is here to see me as a patient, these are the three you may already have. These are the two you already have. They're going to program. It's just humanly impossible. But that's what is expected of these primary care physicians these days as they're becoming the quarterbacks to specialists, right? And uh, how are we going to help them? And that to me is like really helping them be human. So these are the three different types of burnouts. And I think there is a huge way for AI to help uh, AI to help with this. Happy to get into more detail. I think the people that have, you know, been big believers and supporters of AI ha have realized that it's, it's meant to, you know, to be a tool that makes make certain tasks easier. It doesn't necessarily automate everything, right? The general public, when you have conversations, I think they think that AI is just going to take away all these jobs and these, like it is, it is like, like I like the quarterback analogy too, by the way, but it is, it is meant to be a tool to streamline certain parts that, of, of, especially with physicians, right? That the parts that slow them up that where they should be focusing on the care with the patients. Uh, I haven't heard those other, I've only heard one of those burnout uh, when you were talking about the three kind of layers of burnout. So I appreciate you sharing the other two. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that that becomes more common to talk about all three layers versus just the one. As we, by the way, I want to get you on a panel with some, some folks because I think we'd have a ton of fun. Uh, my, my last question as we kind of wrap up here and let's get you on again soon. What's next for you and the company? So uh, what's next for me is um, I am personally super excited by the power of AI to shift the healthcare, right? And you look at every other industry out there, uh, go to Netflix. My daughters who are teenagers now, they've never stepped foot into Blockbuster. They don't even know why they should get off a couch to watch a movie. And it uses AI to tell you exactly what the next thing you may like. Amazon Prime. I've been married for 23 years now. I think Amazon Prime knows more about me than my husband does. It's like, Deepthi, I think you need to buy this. I think you really need to do that or whatever it is. The power of AI is being leveraged to highest levels in so many other industries, Jared. And I feel like in healthcare, which is the most critical part of life, health versus movies or shopping, anything else, is truly is going through a crisis in slow motion. I call it in slow motion because 
during COVID, we saw people dying right in front of our eyes on a daily basis, and everybody came together to make things happen. But with respect to this whole physician workforce shortage, burnout, and uh, chronic conditions spent, it's a crisis in slow motion spread over decades. And if we, together as an industry, don't wake up to that and leverage powerful tools and technologies like AI to be able to think about how do I increase access for people? Because everybody is on waiting list for like months at a time uh, to even get to see the right doctor and high quality of care. And all this while delivering on the promise of the hyper-personalized care, because what suits me is different than you, is I, I call it, it's time to wake up. We got to run towards it. We need to embrace it. And that's what RhythmX AI will be focused on. Stay tuned for more updates about how we'll be leveraging AI to solve some of these problems. Well, I'm excited to stay tuned and, and stay in touch with you and continue to follow the progress. But uh, I, I was a fan before. I'm an even bigger fan now. Congrats on, on everything you've accomplished so far. And uh, thanks for also yeah. being involved in so much. I, I know all those organizations are, are super excited to, to be able to work with you. Uh, let's definitely Thanks. get you back on in the near future and wishing you the best of luck. Absolutely. Thanks, Jared. This has been fun.